right, guys, we're back again. Brianna Zalone podcast. Myself, Shane, the host today. And uh, it's not often we get to say we've got a, uh, a world champion, um, someone who held that title um, for quite some time and obviously still dominating the sport. Um, and one of my hometown brethren in terms of, you know, Barbadian connect, um, which we obviously love on the podcast. But we've got today with us Mr. Corey Matt. Um, his new book is out now, Black Ice. Just get a, get a look at that. Yeah, there we go. But um, we're looking forward to having this conversation. So um, lots to get into from, you know, obviously, like I said, um, is is early days in Barbados to coming over to, uh, to to England and going on to being one of the most decorated bobsleigh um, para-athletes in the sport today. So I'm super excited um, to have my guy on. So Corey, appreciate you coming on, my guy. Thank, Thank you. you very much for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. No, no. No, this is dope because obviously we had um, a conversation, I would say maybe a week ago or so, uh, for your yeah. documentary mm-hmm. uh, that's coming out. Super powerful, you know, story. Obviously, you've, um, you know, kind of, mentioned it in the book and, and a lot of people I'm sure who will be reading the book and understanding your journey will be in awe, you know, of what you've gone on to achieve. Um, so we'll get into all of that today, but I want to start, you know, somewhere that's near and dear to my heart. So back in Barbados, mm. growing up, um, a lot of it in the book I read, I can obviously relate to. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to those early days, those early years, you know, coming up, um, young boy in Barbados. What was the the dynamic like in terms of the family, in terms of the upbringing? You know, give us a, a flavor for what that that early days was like. Um. Yeah, well, as we know, Barbados is a is a very small place, mm. and the villages are small, the communities are tight knit, and they say it takes a village to raise a child. It does. So, indeed. um, you know, where we live, everybody's a family. Mm. Um, I family was I have four sisters and the last boy, um and but by probably about 14 years or so so that was a really late one <laughs> um, but uh yeah it barbados is will always be the golden state for me always be the home. place where i pine to be all yeah. quite a lot <laughs> these days I, I was telling my sister either early this week or late last week that i was prob- a little bit homesick to yeah. be honest but um yeah it's a place where it's very easy going uh easy pace mm. caribbean island yeah, yeah. you know um some people don't like it f- in in terms of the community <laughs> the uh not community uh customer service type situation because <laughs> everybody's on island time but you <sighs> know it's it, it, oh my god <laughs> it's bad sometimes but um yeah i i was raised in clifton hall in st john mm. um which is on the eastern side of the island rustic st john rustic place yeah. you know Country, 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 yeah. Country, sea, breadfruits. <laughs> you know, Speak on it. Speak on it. The essence of island life, um, St. John is. Um, I love that place. Um, but for whatever reason, I built my house in Christchurch, so <laughs> I get cursed for it all the time. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, you jump shit. Now, it's interesting because, you know, when I was reading the book and obviously the conversation we had, you know, prior to today in really understanding the journey, this is basically what this podcast is all about and why we kind of created this platform is to try and understand the journeys and the stories of, you know, people in our community and in our culture who are really, you know, pushing the envelope and taking things to that next level and how that can then in turn impact and, 
you know, inspire, motivate those who are coming behind us. Yeah. Um, and I think your story, you know, embodies all of that. So looking at the early days and really, you know, the dynamics of growing up in St. John and, you know, your family and all of that dynamics, even today, and I'm, I might have actually, you know, asked you this last time, what are some of the, the early teachings and those values, you know, that you would have had instilled in you that you still carry today, that you still kind of, you know, really hold near and dear to you? Mm. Um, what do you say? Well, I think, you know, as as boys growing up in Barbados, the, the dis- you, you, teachers, mm. parents, people in the village, you know, if you misbehave in the village, somebody can cut oh, your yeah. tail. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's a very... For for me, my mom always used to say respect mm. is earned and manners cost nothing. Um, so for me, you know, is the, the discipline, the the you know, taught the respect for people, respect for other human beings, respect for animals, respect for you know, stuff like, you know, going into the tree hugging side of things, no littering, that mm. kind of stuff, you know, just just respect life as a whole. Um and yeah, I just feel I just feel just general life respect. Yeah. Um you're taught to to value the people around you, value family above all. And um just to take care of you know just take care of your fellow man. Yeah. Um yeah. to put it yeah, sorry, lost words. There, yeah, no, this is fine. Because I, I think, you know, I, I've seen that. And the reason why I was asking the question is because I've seen mm. that in the way you move and, you know, the brief encounter we had and the conversations we had. Like I said, it's, it's obviously, you know, where I was born, where I was raised and a lot mm. of those values that you, know, you just mentioned, you know, I still carry with me today. Yeah. You know, and it's important, in my opinion anyways, that those are, you know, kind of passed down. And I know, you know, you've got kids, I've got kids in terms of that you know, kind of lineage in terms of how we kind of continue that, mm-hmm. I guess, Bajan way, if you like, um, yeah. in a lot of ways. So that's that's important, I would say. Yeah, I would say so. I think it's, it's not just Barbados, but it's the Eastern Caribbean way of life. Because mm. um, when you travel to St. Lucia and Grenada and those places like that, you can see the similarity, um, mm. you know, and I guess going further back, our countries are derived from, from Ghana. Mm. The, the people come from yeah. Ghana. So if you look at the way Ghanaians carry themselves and the way they speak and the way they live and stuff, you can see the similarities between us and them. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. it's a big thing. Yeah. No, it's su- is a big thing. Yeah, super important respect. And I suppose one of the things that I admire about, you know, your journey when we got into, you know, obviously you going into um the the police force and really having that kind of military background was the discipline that you showed that carried um that carried through in terms of the I guess, athletic side of things for your career. Mm-hmm. But what I want to kind of get a gauge for is, has it always been, you know, that athletic side of things? Has that always been something in your family or something that you've been interested in growing up? You know, I know every single boy probably in Barbados is, is a footballer or believes, yeah. that, <laughs> believes that they're a footballer. Yeah. So was that the same for yourself, you know, in terms of sports? Was that a big part of your upbringing as well? Yeah, I used to, I had, we, in St. John, we got, you know, like St. John's Sonics, you got, um, mm. oh, yeah, got yeah. Cu- <laughs> cultural cricket club, St. John's cultural, um, they got basketball courts out there in Gore Hill and that kind of thing. Um, so I grew up playing a lot of sports, but as I said, jack of many trades, but master of none. <laughs> um, 
Uh, I think the, th the thing I focus most on in secondary school and probably Samuel Jackman Prescott Polytechnic at the time was track and field and volleyball. Mm. Yeah, um, volleyball is is quite a big sport in Barbados. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Um, when I was young, I played cricket. We got a lot of cricketers that come from our school. Tino, Best, Dwayne Smith. Shouts out to Tino. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I grew up in and around a lot of sports. But um, in terms of, I played for combine schools for volleyball. Mm. And I ran for the school, Garrison School, in the school sports and different things. But I was never really, you know, like a, a world-class athlete or, or would close to being anything like that. I, had, I was running against people like, uh, over Delhi Thompson and them, so Ooh, yeah, you know, you know he was long he was day, the boss at the time. <laughs> long long day. Yeah. So yeah, I I don't think, yeah, it's just something that I loved, mm. and it's something that you know, like we're we're kids today are raised on playstations and yeah. iPads. Tablet, we were raised yeah. on on the outdoors, climbing coconut trees and <laughs> running to the beach Breakfast and swimming trees, and, and trees. Kind of yeah. yeah, just running all over outdoors, outdoors activities. So I guess. From that perspective, I was active, mm. but never really a world class, a world beater in anything. Yeah. Now, it's interesting because it would actually be something now that today, present day, you do at the highest level and obviously you do quite well. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, mm. you know, world champion in, in 2018 and you've gone on to win, I think it's over 30, 32 medals or something like that uh, throughout your career. So very decorated um, in that respect. So to hear you say you weren't really... You know, an athlete back in the day, I'm like, yeah, you're, do, you're doing all right. Yeah, you're doing all right, right now. But before we get into that, um, because your journey, I think, is one of those ones where when you really understand, you know, your story and kind of the path that you took to get to where you are now, there's an innate appreciation straight off the bat for me, especially because I know personally how hard it does take in terms of being a world class athlete. Um, what that work you need to put in, you know, when you're yeah. training every day, you're sacrifice, dedication. Oh, it's it's insane. Yeah. But even before that, you almost had the makings of being um, in a regiment, or I guess a process to where you had to be quite disciplined. So, speak yeah. on that in terms of I guess how you then I guess got into um, I think back in Barbados actually it was the the police force. Mm -hmm. That's where kind of that journey yeah. started. So, how did you kind of uh, get into the police force and made that kind of the career of choice back then i think you go go further back a little bit further back mm. um to where um i got into trouble the first day the first day at school secondary school as you do and <laughs> yeah some some fifth fifth formers jacked me up and take me my money and stuff so <laughs> i went outside the gate being a boy from st john the only thing i know how to do is put rocks so <laughs> Cheat them in the rocks <laughs> and hit a few cars and broke some windows and stuff and got punished. What was in the principal's office the next day, and she said to me, "Well, you got is your first first time here, first offense, so to speak. You can either take some lashes and join cadets mm. at, or be suspended." So for me, obviously, suspension was out, out, yeah. the, out the Easy door. Choice. So Easy just take the take the lashes. So we had about six lashes and. Um, joined cadets, and from that cadets, then I found my f my f my school family, mm. my my fam the family that that I um, bonded with in school, so to speak, and that got me through difficult periods in my life in school. Uh, still friends today. Um, so at that time, the Barbados Cadet Corps 
was quite big. I don't know if it's still the same, mm. but you got um, people like um, Lieutenant Colonel Lovell, Carlos Lovell. He, I, I was on start all my star levels with him. Yeah, through through cadets, um, and as a result of that, you know, I, I developed a real love for for military life. Mm. Going further back in 1985, I came here, and my uncle took me to Buckingham Palace. I saw the changing in the garden. I, I told my sister, I would love, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. Really? Yeah. Even back then? Even back then. Wow. So I, I was always in love with with that kind of ceremonial type mm. type deal. Um, at the time, obviously, I, I didn't know about the, the, the different parts that the, the household divisions were post. Yeah, yeah. But um, coming, coming forward again, when I joined cadets, I saw them in the pamphlets, like the drill pamphlets, the field craft pamphlets. And that kind of stuff, um, but truthfully, my desire in life was to be a pilot. Wow! I wanted to be a pilot. Like that is oh. that is my life passion. I mm. love planes. I love aviation. Um, and when I reached third third form, you know, the time when you, you got to choose your career. Yeah, and so yeah, on. yeah, yeah. Probably third right. form. I was doing okay in certain subjects, and I wanted to stay stay along those lines and. The year ahead said to me, your money ain't got no money to, wow. <laughs> to, to send you to fly the planes so he can put you in an art art class. So he completely shifted you from what you what your passion. Yeah. Oh, right. So I stopped doing any work and I finished school with my birth certificate. Wow. <laughs> uh, nothing else. Um, but then I went next year. My mother said, well, you can't stay in this house. Mm. So she knew the guy that was the youth service was starting that, that same year, 1995. Yeah. And I started a youth service in 1995. Did that for a year. Came out and did, I went to the Polytechnic and started doing graphic arts and printing and that kind of stuff. But even then, my desire was, I used to still go and watch the Independence Parade and all that kind of mm. stuff and still had a deep-rooted desire to do that. Um, so a guy called Ingus Begg um, made contact with, with me and a couple of other ex-cadets and formed an ex-cadet platoon wow. to recruit for the BDF. So that's my entry into the BDF. So that's how you got into the... That's how oh, I got okay. into the BDF. Um, and I didn't go in full-time. I went in as a reserve. Mm. Um, so I did maybe two or three years there. And then my dad was... He come from a background of policemen. Mm. So he couldn't be a policeman at the, back in the day at his time because he was too short. <laughs> you know, was that actually then. a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in That's back crazy. in the day, you had to be over six feet to join to the Royal Barbados Police Force. Yeah, I did not know that. I'll be honest. Yeah, man. I had yeah. no clue. So he he couldn't do it, and you know, it's something that he wanted for me, I suppose. And then I ended up joining to be an SC, a special constable at the time. Yeah. And when I got to the interview and different things. I realized then that it had put me down as a PC. So I thought, like, I go in for six weeks, I ended yeah. up going up to training school for six months. Wow. And that's how I became a police constable. I stayed in there for four years. Um, was a member of the Special Services Unit, K9 Unit, and the Rapid Response Unit. So I, I had a lot of fun yeah. um, doing my thing in the police force. A few different areas, I guess, yeah. you, you kind of tackled as well. Because it's... it's, it's really detailed in the book 
you know, kind of what that journey entailed and how you actually got from step to step. Because I remember you in the book where it talked about, you know, you <coughs> kind of needing to be trained with the dog. I think, um, mm. and then your your dog kind of changes, something like that. Yeah, he, he basically what happened was that he was an old, older dog. Yeah. Uh, it was a Cocker Spaniel. That's what it was. And his, his handler, the one before me, had moved here to join the police as well. Oh, to move, right. to move to England. And I went and took, o- took him over uh, from that person. And I I was kind of marshalled marshal him for the last maybe two years of his life. Mm. Wow. So, yeah, that's how I managed to become a drug drug detection handler at the time. Um, but in 2004, I went to, um, I, I st- stored some vacation. Yeah. And my friend of mine and myself came here and went, and did the PRMC for the Royal <laughs> Marines. Yeah, because because it's something that is is if something is inside of you, you 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 unless you try it and fail, yeah, you will always have a desire to do it. Yeah, you know. So I I went at that time and I um gave it a go, passed, and then when I came back to Barbados, um, I had my dad got ill and passed away a couple of weeks or months later so i kind of shifted focus just just because yeah. i thought my mother would want me to be around her absolutely a bit more and then my daughters were young yeah. and, and that so i just stopped thinking about it but a year after that then i said nah mm. Mm. that feeling came yes back. Yeah. yeah it was and it came back worse <laughs> stronger yeah. than ever now. because I, I i not only wanted to be a soldier but i wanted to give my daughters an opportunity to grow up in a society where they weren't pigeonholed, and you know, coming from Barbados, absolutely. That once you get to to um, tertiary education, yeah, you can go to UE, and chances are you can only get on certain courses. Yeah, it's very difficult, and right? it's it's a weird thing, but yeah, yeah. So it's is um, I wanted more f- more for them to yeah. give them more more of an opportunity to, in terms of options, in terms of 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 a way out. Mm. Um, also, th- you know, like going back in time, they had a friend called Casper and Ju and Juju, and Julian, um, and we would sit on my on my gallery and say, "Look, yeah. Clifton Hall is great. You know, it's a nice family oriented place, but I want more for myself yeah. than this." Yeah, yeah. You're bigger than your surroundings. You're bigger yeah. than your environment, you especially if that's more. the mindset, you know, that you guys had back then. So, and I mean, there's a lot that you've just mentioned in terms of that period of time. You know, with from that kid that saw the changing of the guards back then to actually taking the leap to then go and do the test and, be- and actually, you know, be successful and being able now to see that, you know, to fruition. Uh, and then unfortunately your dad passing, which kind of led to you coming back and having to, you know, be that, I guess, support system or at least be the, the man in the house and what, you know, mm-hmm. for, uh, for the family. Um, but like you said, and that's, a, that's an important, I think, you know, thing that you probably need to, a lot of people maybe gloss over which is when you've got that that burning desire that feeling you know that you can't necessarily explain but you know that if you don't act on it there is a hundred percent going to be a level of regret you are going to you regret know? it you uh, will regret it yeah you will regret regret's it. definitely worse than oh. the failure yeah I, I i look back now and i think if, if i didn't do this i would i would be in barbados right now and i would be miserable mm, interesting i i i definitely believe that you owe it to yourself 
to pursue it even if you fail. Yeah, yeah. No, that's facts. That's big facts. And I think, you know, your story really kind of, again, epitomizes the constant risk that you you continue to take, actually, uh, throughout your career. And we'll expand on that a bit more. But, you know, just going back to, you know, when that incident happened and now you're having to come back to Barbados after, you know, seemingly taking a step forward closer towards, you know, the opportunity that you worked hard to get and you were basically right there with your dad passing how did that kind of change or did it change you in any way or your mentality in any way um i don't mean any disrespect to my dad at all but Mm. he 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 was um i think in some ways he lived his dream through me because because i have never seen him more Barbados didn't need a Sunday day pass out mm. from 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 wow. regional police training center. He was the most proud parent on the planet at that point in time. Wow. Um, and he he that's hundred percent what he wanted mm. from me. But the reality of it is that as parents, sometimes we can set our kids back mm. by trying to get them to do what we want them to do yeah, rather than yeah. letting them follow their own path, Yeah, yeah. so to yeah. speak. We can provide the opportunity for them mm. to be everything that they want to be. Yeah. But in the end, the choice has to be theirs. 100%. And I, f- I think I struggled with that mm. respect. Um, and I, I was determined then not to let my daughters have to go through that. Mm. So I, le- I, my, I allow them to be, or encourage them, I say, not allow to be free thinkers to to you know and not not just that but not to be afraid to change Mm. at any point in your life yeah because the reality of it is i would rather be um i would rather take the chance Mm. and fail yeah than to never know what it is what would be the outcome yeah no 100 percent. i couldn't agree more and i think the point on the on the parents you know, kind of obviously having the best intentions mm. sometimes can almost be a prohibitor in terms of like, you know, what the child or the children can then go on and do. Because yeah. like you said, you know, they've got their maybe own way of thinking, oh, I would like this for my child. I would like this to happen or whatnot. Mm. But oftentimes it's kind of masking, is that actually what the child wants? Mm-hmm. You know, is that actually the route that they want to take? So it's it's a it's an interesting point because I've had those conversations even with my mum um, to mm-hmm. this day, and a lot of the time with my friends, you know, in terms of you know their parents might want them to go uni, they don't want to go uni. Exactly. They might want this particular job. They might want to move to this particular country or whatever the case is. Yeah. So it's a it, it's it's an interesting dynamic and the balancing that, like you said. A lot of time, as parents, yeah, you want your your child to be a politician, a doctor. Uh, whatever yeah. uh, you know something weird and wonderful but if that child goes to sanitation yeah and they're earning good money and they're happy at the end of the day yeah. let, them do, let the child do that yeah absolutely you know is is the reality of it is not every child is built to be an academic mm. and not every child is built to be a hands-on person yeah. so you got you got to f- encourage them to pursue what makes them comfortable yeah because I mean, yes, I have a few certificates now because I decided that I wanted to to do stuff in later life, but 
they don't certificate or degree don't make them man there's right. people out there with millions of degrees and still don't still <laughs> not working in the fields that absolutely that they are that, yeah. they, that they're trained for that so. Facts. i mean you see it even today like just how the world is and <laughs> careers that didn't exist you know five ten years ago 15 years ago even with the ushering of social media and now a whole new birth of like professions you know no one would have thought influencers would have been a thing yeah you know no one would have thought you would be able to create a life and wealth off of youtube and all these other platforms that mm. did not exist so it's, it's always true. interesting and I, I definitely agree with the fact of you know allowing well like you said not allowing but de definitely encouraging you know your kids to explore wherever whatever they want mm. to do um and you know as a parent you just hopefully be there to protect and guide them as best yeah. you can That's at, at times they will need guidance absolutely at times they will need a hand to kind of get them back on track or whatever the case might be but in the end the decision has to be theirs because if you try and live your life or or, or live their life to them mm. they will look back with more regret than you could ever have imagined for yourself yeah, so Absolutely. you have to you have to allow them to grow and blossom as they see fit mm. um with an element of direction in the process yeah yeah no i totally agree so you're you're obviously going through that period now with the, with the loss of your father and then like mm. you said a year later you know that that burning desire comes back so you're now thinking right this is you know, something enough. I can't ignore. I had enough. Yeah. yeah. So where does the journey then take you from that point onwards? Are you back in England and kind of pursuing, you know, that opportunity? Well, I went to see um, a gentleman at the British High Commission in Barbados and he turned out to be what we call a corporal of horse or the equivalent of a sergeant in the British Army. Mm. Um, he's corporal of horse being um, a person in the Household Cavalry Regiment. Yeah. So he was the first person I met uh, from the Household Cavalry. And he said to me, look, I'm gonna show you some videos and whatnot and help you just talk to you about it, talk, talk things through and see what you wanna do. Um, the Marines had said to me, you gotta go through the PRMC again. So I was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, he showed me this, this um, like tank driving across the, the prairie in Canada. I was like, yes, this is for me. That's what you're into. Yeah. So, and then there were, you know, basically all this, all the, all of his experiences, some of his experiences he had told me. What he didn't tell me is that there's, a, there's a side of the regiment that you have to learn to ride horses and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, so I thought, in essence, that, and I didn't ask about it when I went yeah. to the, to the careers office here. So he hooked me up essentially and sent, got me on my way. I had um. An uncle in Derby, he sponsored me, and um, that I came here then in two thousand and four or five, two thousand four. Yeah. Um, left my family behind. Wow. My daughter's young. And um, walked away from the police force and and came here, joined the household cavalry, November the seventeenth, two thousand and five. Yeah. Wow. Went to Prairie. I never looked back since. And the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. But it's, it's, I think that level of sacrifice, uh, you know, is something that you documented well in the book and just kind of really charting the journey for you to show that each and every step of the way. And this is what, this is actually something that, because we've had, you know, a few athletes on the on the show, uh, yeah. some ex-pros and, and footballers and whatnot. Yeah. And the journey and the heights that they've reached is 
is never straightforward, number one, but it's never without sacrifice. But like you said, you 100%. know, leaving your, your family behind, kind of taking that, what you could probably perceive back then as just a leap of faith, mm. that this all works out, you know, obviously you're willing to put in the work and whatnot, but at the end of the day, it's literally like, I hope, you know, this goes according to plan. I hope this works yeah. out the way I want. So what was it that I guess at the time was going through your mind to make you really confident or really assured that, right, this is now the journey that I'm on. This is what I'm committed to. Well, I had had a few experiences in the police back home that made me determined to leave. Mm. And then I thought to myself, you're 24 years old now. Mm. Whatever you do, this is it. Yeah. Um, so I thought to myself, I got nothing to lose mm. and everything to gain. Yeah. So for me, I just left and I became tunnel vision, like, like seriously tunnel vision. And in the end, I was still fit enough to go back to, to the yeah, Marines. But yeah. I thought to myself, maybe that's not for me. Mm. Let me. Let me go and try this, you know? So... Yeah, I just thought, you know, just keep your head down and keep moving. Yeah. Um, and the rest, whatever, whatever is to be, will be. Yeah. Well, I guess put, put faith in God and, and move, move your purpose. That's you know, true. That's one of the things I always say. So now you're in, you know, the household cavalry and you're actually to that point now where you are seeing the hard work, the commitment, the sacrifice, mm-hmm. you know, the... The journey is clear, or at least the vision is clear in terms of how you can go on and progress. What's you know that period of your life like in terms of you're obviously in a career or you're in an opportunity that you want to be in, mm-hmm. your family's back in Barbados, you know, how are you navigating, how are you thinking, you know, this is gonna progress for me? Um, so once once I got through basic training and phase two, my family joined me. Okay. So it was just like a year. All right. Um, so once you finished and you are starting regular duties as a, a fully trained phase two soldier, then your family comes over and they give you service family accommodation and all that. So once they got here, then it was it was a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. Um, my mother would come over mm. and stay with us for periods of time. My mother-in-law would as well, um, my sisters. So we always had like a constant stream of people coming through to help okay. us um, settle and stuff. Yeah. At the time I was living in, Victoria, Stillington Street in Victoria. That's where our our, um, service family accommodation was. Mm. So we were like in the middle of central London, um, brand new, and just exploring life (laughs) together as a a young family. So I enjoyed it. It was was good. You know, to see the girls' faces when they saw a double-decker bus for the first time, (laughs) you know, train rides and all that kind of stuff. It was beautiful. It was really, really wonderful to see. Yeah. yeah, I don't. Yeah, no, there's I, no words that explain it. It's either. actually quite funny because I had um, a few years, well, not actually a few years, but a little while back now, my nephews and nieces came over, um, and it was funny actually seeing their reactions and you know actually wanting to sit like to the front of the. To the front. I've never at the top cared the about stuff yeah. like that, but do you know what I mean? It, it was actually beautiful, and I, I, I do. You know, you can appreciate it through their eyes. Yes, you know, and um, the kid in you sees it absolutely, and that was something that I was like. I want to see how many of these experiences I can provide for them. Yes. You know, yes. and I think that's one of the things that even to yeah. this day, like I'm constantly thinking about, you know, from, you know, my daughter and, you know, my kids are kind of looking at my nieces and nephews, you know, how can I really, 
you know, make their experiences, whether it's here or in Barbados or anywhere, really, how many of them I can give to them and, you know, how they can enjoy it. Yeah, not 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 slating the way we were raised or the communities that we grew up in. But back in Barbados, I could go back there now and I could see a range of people that I grew up with all in the same place and not advancing. Yeah. And yeah, I always thought to myself, I don't want that for myself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it, you could go and you could get a job at Braden's and yeah, that's a or mindset, KF Shepherd actually. or whatever. It is a mindset you go want more for yourself. Yeah. Um, so I I does I want them to want more. Yeah, yeah. And I encourage them, push them, gently nudge them. Yeah, <laughs> just just in the right direction. Want more. Yeah, yeah. Just want more. I, I think you're absolutely right. And limit yourself. I guess <clears throat> I've kind of seen that with you know some people that I know myself, and you know I often think, and you probably might be able to relate to this. You know why why is it i think the way i think why is it you know these are the things that i'm pursuing i'm going after but these guys who you know i class them as my friends or people that i definitely knew and you know grew up with or whatever the case is why they don't see things that way do you know what i mean like it's, it's comfy yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely the mindset and i think that's you know super important because it doesn't matter how well you see it how clear the vision is for you if someone else doesn't see it that way then you know if we if you look back at say like the generation before ours mm. for instance the mindset was completely different yeah they didn't want much 100 percent. they didn't they really didn't want very much. content with they were very yeah. content with little or nothing mm. or, or not nothing but little yeah um and if you if you thought outside of that it was kind of frowned upon in a sense because it's like ah, oh, you you want this, but you, you know, that yeah, kind of thing. Right? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and it's not, it's not that they're consciously doing it is because they actually actively can't do it mm. because of the mindset yeah. that they have. And we have to, you have to consciously decide at some point in your life, I want more for myself than yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. You've like got to say decide. You have to decide. That, you have yeah. to decide it. Yeah. Um, and y you have to, you can't just decide it and sit back. Mm. You've got to decide it and actively go for it. Yeah, yeah. Put some actions behind yeah. those words. Yeah. No, I fully agree. It's funny just hearing you saying that because so, mi so much of that resonates, you know, with me on a level that's that's quite deep because these are conversations, even like we're having now, you know, and kind of how this show kind of came about. I was having these conversations regardless with like mm. my close friends and people that are in my circle. And it was always, you know, very frustrating, I would say is the word I would use mm. to like, be thinking a certain way and maybe wanting certain things and you know people who would probably not be thinking that way or maybe not you know in any shape or form have any desire they'll be like oh, why would you you know that's not something that is for you or you know those kind of conversations and it would always be like why i can you know? tell you something now right speak on it everybody wants you to do well but not better than them <laughs> that might be the truth might be the truth it's true they will they will say oh i want the best for you i want this for you but they don't want you to do better than them so if they realize that you can that you excelling and you your mindset is taking you in a place that they're not they can pull you down yeah yeah that's why it's so important the people around you like even to this day you know the circle is pretty much a triangle at this point exactly um but it's one of those things where i i audit this stuff very very closely because i need that energy around me 
when I'm coming up with these outrageous ideas or things that I'm just saying off the cuff, you know, and some of it may absolutely be like just crazy to even think, but nonetheless, the people around me, you know, they're just as crazy, they're just as focused, they're just as, you know, wanting more and thinking more in abundance rather than scarcity. And I think that's something that mm. probably, like you said, our generation, our generation before us and, and probably in our community as well, you know, that's unfortunately a place for where a lot of people you know, start or at least they come from. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, there's, there's not enough out here for us, or you know, this person is getting too much, and, mm. and I'm not getting my. So yeah. yeah, is there's a there's a. My my mother and father always used to talk about looking to the side rather than looking forward. Mm. Right, you 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 say looking somebody yeah. and looking at what they're doing rather than looking at where you need to be, yeah. and you can't, you you will never get anywhere looking sideways. Yeah. Yeah. You can move laterally, mm. but you ain't gonna move forward. Yeah. Fact. So, f so for me, my my thing is, like, never in a million years would I believe I would be sat here doing a a podcast with mm. with you yeah. talking about these things or whatever the case may be. Because often we sit and think about it and think, yeah. oh, I wonder if, rather than actively seeking it out yeah. and and that kind of stuff, and I guess, in a sense, is who you know as well. Yeah. And my circle is full of positivity. Mm. I hate negative people around me. Yeah. I cannot stand it. It's difficult, man. It's I, draining. It's, it sucks you of life. Yeah. Um, so for me, I am very, very picky and very careful with the people that I have around me and around my children. Yeah, yeah. that's super important, you yeah. know. And I guess on that, because you, you've detailed a few people along your journey that was you know, quite instrumental in helping you kind of get to these different levels and next phases in life. Yeah. Um, now you're in this, you know, new space. Family's obviously over. You mentioned, actually, I wanted to ask you, because I'm not sure if I asked you this last time, with your mum seeing you kind of progressing and now, I guess, you know, I'm assuming at this point, obviously, you know, she's back in Barbados um, on her own or obviously she's got your sisters, yeah, etc. What was her you know kind of uh take on you now moving away and starting this journey with your family and you know being in england and, and they're back in barbados i think she was really proud really i think she she my mother is the type of lady that would give you her last mm. so for her to see her children excelling in any way shape or form yeah is is complete and utter happiness for her that's beautiful man um she never once told me i don't want that for you she said, if you feel you can make it happen, if you feel you can make it work, mm. go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Go for it 100%. And be mindful. You might want things, but God might not want them for you. Yes. <laughs> and if somebody, if, 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 you, if, you, if you are, you have to be mindful of the fact that you, what, what you want mm. may not necessarily be, des it's, it's desirable mm. for you. But it's not it's not necessarily the thing that is set out for you. So you might go up and you might have relative success in that thing, yeah. or you might fail in that thing. But it might open the door for the thing that really and truthfully yeah. you're meant to be doing or meant to yeah. have. Nah, big facts. So you you have to be flexible in thought and open minded, mm. open to learn things, and be a sponge in life, yeah. absorb information, talk to people, learn. Always be always be willing to learn, always be willing to take a step back and reassess yourself. Mm. Always be willing to move. 
to go in another direction. But if, for me, there's an, another reason why people fail is because they become content. Mm. They, they, they get to a point in life where they're thinking, I, I, I'm earning $2 a week. Mm. That's great. I, I don't need anything else. Look forward because you, there's a there's a there's a cartoon picture I saw on Facebook or whatever some time ago, and the father was doing something, and when he looked back, the cubs were looking. Mm. So if you if you are one of these people that settles for the bare minimum, yeah, you gotta be aware that your children looking at you, and yeah. they can settle for the bare minimum yeah. too. Through osmosis, that's how they learn. That's how they pick up on things. So for me, you have to be ever evolving always willing to learn, always keep mo- willing to keep moving forward and always want, not necessarily more than your fair share, mm. but always be willing yeah. to learn and go for something else. Yeah. Be ambitious. There's nothing wrong with being ambitious. Absolutely not. Right. And that's why, you know, I almost got super excited, kind of just, like I said, reading the book and just having a chance to sit down with you because it, I, I didn't tell you this when we were doing the documentary, but I just felt super proud because... Here's a guy who I've probably got more in common than most people that you probably interact with um, on that day, coming from the same place, growing up, you know, even though St. John, St. Michael, kind of, you know, growing up in Barbados, whatever. And to see what you've achieved, it almost, not almost, it put an extra battery in my back. Do you know Mm. what I mean? And that's why I was like, I definitely 1000% need to get you on the show because I don't think it's spoken about enough you know, when people do reach these heights and they have a level of success, what that journey and that process looks like, you know, what it took to get there. You know, most people see the finished article, ah, Corey, world champion, you know, he's done this, Invictus Game, all this great stuff. But as you've mentioned here today, there's just a trail of sacrifice, a trail of just risk that you Mm -hmm. took, you know, that kind of propelled you on to get to the the next stage. It's true. Um, I guess in a sense, for me, I I never wanted to work. Mm. When I say when I never want, when I say never wanted to work, I was always told from from the beginning that if you find a job that you are completely and utterly in love with, mm. it will never be di- a day of work in your life. Yeah. So, I fell in love with the military life. I fell in love with that, and I and I, that's all I w- ever wanted to do. Yeah. Oh, that's so. Amazing. You, I, my advice to people is always to to find a passion and pursue it relentlessly mm. yeah. because you will never work a day in your life yeah. you will never get out and think I, yes we all get tired or whatever the case may be but you will know for a fact that you're going yeah. to do something that you believe in and you absolutely love no, yeah. I can definitely relate to that and just speaking on the military life and kind of that being a passion um and again, you know, this is one of those parts in the book that in reading it and kind of trying to picture, have those words paint a picture for, you know, what you were experiencing, what you were going through at the time. Mm. It was super emotional, but at the same time, it was, you know, one of those things where you 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 can only imagine, you know, what it was like. So I, I want to shift gears and kind of, you know, get into what it was like in terms of, uh, I know you did a tour in Afghan and, you know, then pursuing um, that part of your story. You know, I really kind of 
putting some context behind what that experience was like for you um, mm. going to you know Afghan or any tours that you've done you know what that was actually like um, Afghanistan was rustic and beautiful mm. um, very hot <laughs> miserable <laughs> uh, but you know what it is something in my life people always say to me oh why, why would you want to do that why would you do this the, the reality of it is that we went out there to liberate people from tyranny yeah and when we got out there and stuff we saw villages we saw places that were completely petrified to come out of their houses wow and the last thing i did um before before um i was blown up was essentially we had a, a a village that we were overseeing and this this village was completely shut down because of the Taliban. People, the Taliban were living in a Muslim. And within two or three days of us being there mm. and doing conducting the operations, we saw farmers come out the house. We saw people baking bread. We saw wow. there was just a number of things that we saw that that bless our hearts as people because you had families there that may have lived maybe 500 meters from each other and never seen each other in five, six years. Wow. Um, that's that's the <laughs> amount of, of control that those people will have mm. on those villages. And that's the stuff that you don't hear about. You normally hear about, oh, somebody got blown up or somebody killed, somebody committed suicide. But, mm. you know, and from, from our end, but the reality of it is that we went there we were able to give those people mm. peace whether it be for five minutes or ten years yeah and for me that was worth it yeah. that was that was worth it it was difficult i lost friends i had my own issues but i wouldn't i wouldn't trade the experience yeah. for anything nah it's it's even just sat here hearing you say you wouldn't trade the experience for anything knowing as you mentioned just now you know that day where you lost both your legs, you know, driving over an IED. Can you can you recount kind of what that was like? Because in the book, it's obviously detailed, but again, you know, I was just like, just I could not fathom like what was going through your head. What you know were your um, your platoon, your troop members thinking? Like what was going on at that point? And it was it was quite you know, hard to read, but I imagine it's been harder to, to experience in real life. Uh, for me, well, uh, well, it was, how it happened, it was a more, it was there like any other day we were going to help some people and essentially there was this, this uh, sergeant who was training the Afghan mm. police and stuff. We call him om Omelette. I can't remember what it stands for, but essentially he was shot and they were trying to est establish a, a, a helicopter landing site for for them yeah and for the taliban had them pinned down and i needed to to do something um based on what they were saying yeah. so they asked us to move on to high ground to to kind of take fire which is basically what they would call a recce screen mm. that's that's what we were doing for the last couple of weeks and the last thing i remember is asking my commander at the time do you want me to go down so you can traverse the turret mm. um which is basically moving the gun around um because we we were in small tanks called scimitars and you had to drop the seat f for them to move the gun mm. and he said no on turret surfing which was turret surfing is <laughs> when 
you you were sitting outside of the vehicle, like on top of it, wow. so that if the if the IED goes off, you will get thrown. You won't get caught up in the yeah. in the um, aftermath of it, and I was like, huh, okay, he knows something, mm. you know. So it was probably maybe twenty thirty seconds after that. Wow, and then I was out for two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, when I got up, um, or when I started to come to myself, mm. um. It was it was difficult because I one I was allergic to to my blood was poisoned. I was allergic to morphine and they were giving me more morphine than I actually needed. Wow. And you know, everything around me was a mess because I could hear stuff as if I was still in Afghanistan. And like the those drugs were evil, man. Like you, you, the nurses looked like they had fangs and all kinds really? of stuff. It was weird, man. Oh, it just completely like... messed with your head. And from a religious standpoint, um, there was a point when I was sinking down through my bed and like into this kind of courtyard atmosphere. Mm. Um, it was so vivid. It was, it was, it was scary. Wow. And there were two, tor there was a, uh, to the, off to the left, um, there was a kind of a, a biblical setting where you got like two torches by a door and just some steps leading up to it. And on that side, there was a corridor um, going, just a corridor, just going off in that direction. And I was stood on top of these steps, essentially. And at that point, I was like, I kept repeating to myself at this point, God, don't take me if I'm not ready. God, don't take me if I'm not ready. Wow. God, don't take me if I'm not ready. I remember it. And essentially, that happened like, four or five, maybe six times. Mm. And the last time it happened, I decided that I was going to walk towards the corridor. And I walked towards the corridor and there literally, as you would hear some people saying things before, um, there was a light. And I walked towards it and a voice said to me, I ready for you yet. Mm. Pure Bajan too. Really? <laughs> Pure Bajan voice. I ain't ready for you yet. God might be Bajan. You never know. I don't know, but the mind the mind does things. That's all I can say. Whether or not I believe that there were people in Barbados praying for me, family, churches, different churches, different wow. denominations. And I believe that they were a major part. Like my blood was poisoned badly. Mm. And they couldn't understand why it was getting better and my blood was poisoned. Really? Yeah. <sighs> That's um, insane. So what they did in the end was completely take me off all medication. No drugs? None. So you can imagine what that 24 hours was like. It was in a bad way. Um, and up to that point, I couldn't eat. And I essentially just, that same day, I just vomited and sand and all kinds of whatever else came up. And then I was able to eat and like have a bath and stuff. I went into the shower for my first shower since that ha happened and um that was probably the most emotional thing for me personally because she had to transfer me to a commode a commode basically is like a, a little I chair that you can stay in she pushed me in the shower she says do you need help i said no nah, I, I should be all right and i was kind of 
buzzing for it, looking forward for it because yeah. you know hadn't ex- had had it for for a while. So, um, essentially, I st- I started the shower. She turned on the shower and everything for me, and I pulled myself closer with with the bars in the bathroom, and as as the water hit me just it was completely red just everything was red like mm-hmm. um i started to to wash my hair and stuff and like big clumps of hair come out in patches like big patches and stuff and like you know you got like my hand was was a mess my mouth was a mess because my jaw was broken but still able to kind of talk kind of it was a mess, complete mess. And then you looked down at your legs and see that that state, and it was just. And I I broke completely broke in that in that bathroom in that instance, and and it wasn't just a casual break either. I just I cry hard, yeah, uh, hard enough for the lady outside of the door to hear, and she, you know, push put pull open the door, and this is testament to the type of people that looked after us as yeah. well. She came and she pushed, she came like literally under the water and put her arms around me and hugged me. And she said, you're going to be okay. We can get through this. We can get you through this. Wow. Don't worry. You're going to be okay. You got your girls coming to see you this evening. Um, and eventually I just kind of got myself together. And she said, all right, I'm soaking wet now. I need to go change, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but the banter that they had with us was good and yeah. and you know she was she knew what to say to get me back on track yeah. um yeah wow. so that was a rough one that's powerful bro because i know you you kind of spoke on this during the documentary where we were doing it together and i mm. it it almost transported me to that place and i know for you kind of reliving those thoughts those memories those experiences um what it would do to a person because we always hear about especially when it comes to um you know, people coming back from tours and the PTSD that follows and, yeah. you know, kind of that emotional uh, trauma that follows as well. Um, and you've obviously highlighted that and spoken about it, but I think mm. for what you were able to, you know, go through and absorb, yeah, it was uh, one of those times that reading the book, I was like, yeah, and seeing you in person and just how positive, you know, how motivated and just, just how your attitude is towards life, you mm. know, that was just, you know, amazing, you know, to experience. Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah, you. Powerful. And, you know, it kind of leads us on to um, the phase post, you know, the incident in, in Afghanistan and, you know, now looking towards, I guess, what would be a, a next chapter, you know, filled with lots of uh, success and no doubt hard work and, and grit and determination. But what, and I, I might have asked you this actually last time, but that transition now to even think what would be next, what I'm going to do next, you know, mm. where am I going to go from here? Having been, you know, in the field that you loved and something you worked your life to, to kind of achieve, what was that like? Um, it was a very difficult, very difficult part to, to deal with. Um, and I kind of split myself in two at that point mm. because you're dealing with, the physical element of what's happened to you, yeah, getting yourself up and moving again, which they had said to to our families, you know, don't treat them like like 
disabled people. Yeah. Make them get up and do stuff. Make them get up and make their own tea. Make them get up and make the bed. Make them, okay. you know, do all that kind of stuff. Because then it keeps your mind ticking over. Yeah. And you know for a fact that as military men, we need a routine. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the difficult difficulty for me in that regard was that I focused everything on the physical and never any on the mental. Um, although I had the one guy, there was one guy that tried to, I went to see a, a, a therapist um, as part of the treatment at Headley Court. Mm. And, you know, he he asked me some, something and I just expl- I erupted, man. I was wow. just, I went mental for whatever reason. But I just thought the question was so stupid. Like, how am I feeling or something mm. stupid like that. And I was just like, me how i feeling like yeah. how do you think i'm feeling <laughs> like you know kind of thing yeah obviously not that nice but um i didn't describe it that nice to him in that regard but uh yeah i, I guess in a sense he he probably has gone through that with maybe half if not more than half of the yeah. people that come through his office but yeah you just you put the the mental stuff in the background f- focus on on the physical and that took me what three years wow um, during that time, I learned to play golf, started playing cricket again, um, got selected for a GB trial for volleyball, wow. um, made the team for the European Championships in 2013, um, and got introduced to bobsleigh. Yeah, which is, you know, one of those things that, and again, just everything you've mentioned here, I'm just in awe of kind of how you were able to pivot, although it came at a, a cost, like you mentioned, you know, because the emotional side of things wasn't at the forefront or wasn't, you know, really handled. It was more thinking on the physical and looking after your body, etc., looking yeah. after what's going to go next. But yeah. as you mentioned, you know, that came kind of crashing back, you know, oh, kind of um, later, yeah. which is, you know, something that we all go through. And I guess it's, you know, how you deal with it mentally. Um, but like you said, Bob Slay, I never in a million years would have thought I would have met a Bayesian who was, uh, yeah, doing bobsled. All the jokes started flying, you know. Kiss my lucky Yeah, yeah. (laughs) all all that kind of stuff. So why, after all those different, you know, sports and the ability you obviously had to kind of uh, pursue those, why why bobsled? Why was that kind of something that you kind of just pursued? That's a good question. Um, I think because the vehicle we drive is... The scimitar vehicle that we drove is is two sticks and you pull them. Yeah. Um, Bobsleigh is two, what they call D rings, um, okay. on two bungee cords and you pull them, to to manipulate it. Mm. So it's similar in that regard, but they felt that I had the hand eye coordination to to deal with. Yeah. To deal with it and to, to to be to be good at it, and they also know that I take instruction where, where. Um, sport is concerned or whatever the case might be the other part of it is that some of us are born with a sporting IQ Mm. so it's like for instance reading ball flight for instance yeah you can read ball flight like some reading ball flight any ball flight comes natural to me wow um so I used to be a wide receiver for 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 Barbados really in in when we had a, a an American football league in the Caribbean Oh wow! All kinds of stuff. So I I learned like ball flight. I learned how to manage, like pace yourself in in races and yeah. all kinds of little little different things. So 
it adds to your sporting IQ yeah. in that regard. So he felt that I had that. Yeah. Um, I obviously at the time didn't know I did. Oh wow. Um, until it was it was explained to me in detail, and they took me to. He asked me if I wanted to try it, and I, my first reply to him was, "I've broken enough already, boss." <laughs> so. <laughs> No, it's a no for me. No. <laughs> but he came back a little bit later and he said, "Look, you know, I think this is something that you you would really be good at. Yeah. So, yeah. do you want to give it a go?" I said, uh, "All right." So I went off to to Calgary in twenty fourteen. Yeah, and they put me in a two man sled. Not even a not even a one that was protected like the other ones because some of them had row bars on them. Yeah, mine was just a normal two man sled. Wow, and they put me in it and just pushed me off. And that was it. And that was it. <laughs> that's um, crazy to even just now understand kind of how you know the um entry level for you uh-huh. like it wasn't like oh i'm gonna study i'm gonna practice i'm gonna do yeah. it was like right get in go yeah you know what i mean and but i didn't, I didn't go it. from the top i went from the middle what they'll do is like you know like an equestrian or or whatever else they'll walk the course first oh, okay gotcha. so you walk the course and then but realistically, you walk it, but you don't, at that point, you don't really remember yeah. half of what the coach is telling you. <laughs> so what you do is try and remember which way the corners go. Yeah. So that you're not turning right when you're meant to turn left, because that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's you out of there. That's yeah. pain there. So that that's essentially what happened. Oh. They just put me in. Um, the coach said, look, I have faith in you. I have faith that you can do this Yeah. from the beginning. So I went down. And then I came back up again and they said, okay, try this, this, and this. And this is where the Sporting IQ came in. Yeah. I was able to make the changes that they said. Okay. So, like, if, like, now my coach will look at me at this stage in my career and say, right, in order for you to get out this corner properly and transition to the next one, you need to be six inches lower. Mm. And the average person will look at that and look at the ice and look at a corner and think, six inches? Mm. Probably impossible. But... I know how to get that six inches mm-hmm. now. Gotcha. So it's 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 tricky, it's technical, and it's it's cerebral as well because you are spending time, a lot of time in your head, mm-hmm. just going over it and over it and over it constantly. Yeah. And till you, you come to a point and you can literally just, you will go down the track and you will not remember a run, but your body does it for you. Yeah. So crazy. It's, it is, it is yeah. crazy. I just wanted to kind of, really focus on that because i'm not sure i understand oh sorry <laughs> i want to focus on that because what you just mentioned is one of those things where obviously you need a natural ability uh, but again you're being put in a situation for the first time yeah. really having no experience probably like you mentioned not even wanting to do it you know at the first attempt anyways yeah. um but again it's that risk it's that being able to tell yourself actually you know what i will try it and kind of go on and um and do it from that way so when you started to, you know, continue the runs, you're obviously working with a coach now, you're working with, you know, people who see the talent and believe in you. Did you at any point think, right, I actually can do this and go on and, you know, achieve world championship? Are you thinking that at the time or just like No, you know, I was I was thinking I was I was thinking um I just wanna learn. Yeah. Be a sponge, as I said. Like if you go into anything at first, you you just go in go in to learn. Yeah. And uh, that's where I am. Uh, always, I'm always that's in that crazy. state of mind. Yeah. 
that. And, and I think we can't, you know, wrap up without kind of going through the accolades. You know, I mentioned it at the top of the show. Uh, world champion, I believe you achieved. Uh, was it 2018? World Cup champion. World Cup champion 2018. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a few other titles. Well, I'll say a champion. few other titles. Yeah. yeah. You can you can reel them off. It's fine. It's fine. Get them out. Yeah, no, it's, it's um, no, I won, I won a few races. Um, I, I've meddled in quite a few races. I think more than half of them. So yeah. I think it's an accomplishment, yeah. accomplishment to to be able to, to be that consistent yeah. over eight years. So yeah. nice. Yeah, I'm happy. It's a long time, man. And I know, you know, we're obviously going to make sure we get some more time if you and um, kind of go through a bit more detail. You know, obviously we're in the book. Um, the book's out now, so people can obviously um, pick it up. Um, Black Ice, which is an incredible title, by the way, and I think you said it's it's a uh, one of the nicknames. I think that you it's a nickname that that the that my um, colleagues on on the Bob Slater gave me yeah. for some reason. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll go into a lot more detail with that, but like I said, just just reading the book, hearing your story, and having the privilege to sit down with you to go through the documentary, and now today, you know, for our audience and our viewers and listeners to really understand how you got to that world championship, you know, being able to bounce back from what you've detailed today as countless different setbacks or at least what yeah. people would perceive them to be setbacks. But it seems like it continuously propelled you to, you know, want more, to achieve more. Um, and you've done that, you know, at the highest level. So my brother, I, I commend you, you know, Thank for you. obviously all that you've done, all that you've achieved, but also for inspiring me, you know, because like oh, I said, thanks, man. number one, no Bajan I know is even considering bobsleigh. That's a yeah. fact. Um, but also, like I said, you know, having, you know, um, the the incident in, in Afghan and for most people, you know, that's probably one of those things that really alter your life and, you know, your mindset and the way of doing things. But it seemed to only kind of elevated you to another level. So yeah. impressive stuff, man. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, for, for me, the only thing that I can tell you is that... Um, in life, you will hit. You will hit bumps. You will hit s significant things. Not they won't always be life changing like mine. But everybody has their own uh, crosses to bear and their battles to fight. Absolutely. But it's just that when those when those crosses and battles come, just be aware of them and not be aware enough not to let them define you as a person or define what you become. Mm. Um, because you've lost them. Yeah. You've lost the battle. For me, if I if I had succumb to my injuries as a result of my mind yeah then the taliban won for me yeah so nah. yeah that's how i look at life incredible incredible so guys look another classic episode uh bring others along and obviously today was super special for me uh having someone from my hometown but also someone that i've had the pleasure of working with and looked up to um in a major way so i'm sure there'll be lots more um that we'll be linking up and doing you know 100 percent um, but you can definitely pick up Black Ice. Is it's out now? The book? It's out yeah. now. Yeah. You can get it on Nine Elms uh, Books. Mm -hmm. um, if you buy it from Nine Elms Books, you will get a signed copy and you can get it on Amazon still as well. Perfect. Yeah. And we'll obviously link all the details on where you can get the book and find out all of the upcoming events, all the upcoming, um, I guess, races that you've obviously are training now for. Uh, so people can support, people can definitely get in. Um, um, I guess in touch with you, um, you know, to see what's going on. And on the show, just to wrap up, we've got a tradition, uh, which is, you know, in sticking with the theme of bring others along, it's just like yourself, 
sat here today and really giving an absolute masterclass, you know, in terms of, I think anyways, grit, determination, just taking risks, sacrificing to achieve what you've achieved. Anyone that you can think of that you want to bring along and recommend to the viewers, to the audience, to come on and speak to us, um, to share their journey, share their stories, you know, people who are in your circle or people that you're aware of or might be in your network. Um, feel free to shout it out on camera. We'll definitely uh, pursue and uh. hassle them, I'm sure. But, you know, anyone you can think of, kind of put you on the spot now. But <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a good friend of mine in Canada called Lonnie Bissonette. He's a uh, mm. paraplegic-based jumper. Oh, wow. Yeah, he jumps off buildings in a wheelchair. Wow. Yes. Really? Yes, he is bonafide loony. <laughs> but you know what? You will not get a better... He from he is an inspiration to me personally. He's my oh, travel wow. my travel buddy as well. We we travel together. Yeah. But yeah, he's done. He got injured base jumping, mm. and um, uh, I think he, he got l a couple of the vertebrae in his back broken. It's not he's not complete, but yeah, he jumps off yeah. buildings in a wheelchair and bridges. <sighs> Say less, you know. <laughs> I will make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. But again, you know, these are the kind of people and stories that we definitely want to make sure we highlight on the show and, you know, bring a different maybe flavor to, you know, the culture or what we're so used to, which is, you know, your athletes or your, your rappers or, you know, people in that kind of vein, which is no disrespect to those people are operating in those spaces. But I think we're so multifaceted that as black people and, you know, people of color is one of those things for me personally to try and highlight to get us into more spaces, more awareness, and um, ways in which we can continue to push yeah. the culture forward. Yeah, so, definitely. yeah, that sounds talk crazy to, to I'll me. I'll talk to our, our guy at... Uh, yeah, 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 our guy. That we, yeah. dis that we discussed we'll, we'll about earlier. Sure. We'll, we'll I don't, don't want to say... Yeah, we'll keep that one under wraps but, um, for now. I'll discuss it with him yeah. first and see where he, if he's interested and Absolutely. we'll go from there. Perfect. Well, look, Corey, Matt, appreciate you jumping on, my bro. Um, love always you know we're definitely going to support you know everything you've got going on and don't forget to pick up the book Black Ice out now um, all the details will be in the show notes and uh, yeah until next time till next week we'll catch you guys then peace